This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Good morning, church. Can we give a hand to the worship team? That was awesome. I love when they bring us into God's presence. Well, we're at Paul and Lisa Bowden. We are, um, or we serve on the guest services team, which we talk about today. (laughs) And we're we're part of the speaking team. Um, Pastor Mike and Rhonda are out traveling for some R&R today. So we get to finish up on a marriage uh, topic that we started last week. And this is my wife, Lisa, my life partner, my soulmate, um, in every sense of the word. And uh, I'm just so proud of her and, and thankful that God put us together and what we've become and where we're going, where he's got us going. Um, I'll say something about Lisa is, in fact, I'll read a, a proverb. It's Proverbs 31, and it says, her husband is known in the gates of the city when he sits among the elders of the land. And Proverbs 31 is mostly about the wise woman uh, or the good wife. And it's interesting that the writer mentions her husband here. But even though the husband is known in the gates of the city when he sits among the elders, he doesn't attribute it to the husband. He attributes it to the wife. So whatever I am, honey, you have uh, had just a huge, huge impact. And so I thank you for that. Uh, And this is my wife, Lisa, and you can see that she's beautiful. And if they're, you know, they say that nobody's perfect, but I sure can't see any flaws. So here's Lisa. Oh, boy. He never practices this part, so I have to sit here and listen to this. So good morning. Thank you, honey. You're welcome. So Paul and I really enjoy the subject of marriage, studying about marriage and relationships, and we are honored and humbled to be to be here sharing again today. So thank you for coming back if you were here last week. And if not, thank you for coming. So Mike and Rhonda will be back next week. So be here. It'll be, we'll be back to normal. <laughs> so, okay, we've been married a long time. I mentioned that last week and, and we want to give you hope in marriage. And uh, we truly believe that you can have a 100% success, chance of success in marriage. Um, and This message, you know, we try to make it for um, everyone, not just married people, but young people, um, and then maybe teenagers or young adults that want to get married someday, single adults, whether you want to be married in the future or not, and also parents and grandparents. So we'll get started here. Uh, Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you uh, for your love for us. Lord, your word says that Um, because you love us, we can love others. And we are so grateful for that, Lord. We are grateful for the wisdom of your word and your presence. And I pray that glory would be brought to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And we mentioned last week, too, that there's no condemnation coming from up here. I know there's a lot of different situations that people go through. Um, Much of that we don't have control of, some we do. 
so if if we're talking and say something about um, a marriage or divorce, and that's you know if you're in that boat, um, you know we're that's okay. That, that's just fine. We're we're not going to condemn that. Hopefully, we can help. Hopefully, if this is your second or third marriage, you know it's your last, and you will you'll fight for it. And and we have resources to help out in that. Um, so if um, you know if it, if it's something that you're working toward. Um, and that being marriage, uh, then hopefully you can take something away from this. So no one's up here pointing fingers. No one's uh, throwing barbs or anything like that. So um, everybody can lower their defenses and, and enjoy. This, uh, this medicine is free. So I'm just going to start by uh, reading a, um, just a story. It's about Stumpy and Martha and, uh, and their marriage and what was going on in it. So Stumpy and his wife, Martha, went to the state fair every year. Every year, Stumpy would say, Martha, I'd like to ride in that there airplane. And Martha would say, I know, Stumpy, but that ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. After many years of doing this, Stumpy and Martha went to the state fair, and Stumpy said to Martha, Martha, I'm 71 years old, and if I don't ride in that airplane this year, I may never get another chance. Martha said, Stumpy, that ride costs $10. and $10 is $10. And the pilot overheard them and he said, folks, I'll make you a deal. I'll take you both up for a ride. And if you can stay quiet for the entire ride and not say one word, I won't charge you. But if you say one word, it's $10. Stumpy and Martha agreed and up they went. The pilot did all he could. He did all kinds of twists and turns and rolls and dives, but not a word was heard. And he did all of his tricks over again, but still not a word. They landed, and the pilot turned to Stumpy and said, By golly, I did everything I could to get you to yell out, but you didn't. And Stumpy replied, Well, I was going to say something when Martha fell out, but $10 is $10. (laughs) So I hope you're doing better than Stumpy and Martha. Um, And, you know, society is changing and society is all about self and that's why marriage doesn't work for them. And the enemy has a war on marriage and it's no longer about glorifying God, it's more about self. So anytime that you don't build something on a biblical foundation, you can justify anything. So that's why we see all kinds of different living situations. But marriage is set apart for God. So we need to restore the value of marriage to what God intended it to be, and then he will bless it. Even if you make your sexuality about God, he will bless it. So he will bless your marriage to the extent that you honor it and to the honor that you, or to the extent that you respect it, he'll bless you in the same measure. Okay, last week we emphasized the importance of the parent's role in uh, preparing young people for marriage. And we divided it into three stages. The first being uh, teaching our younger kids character, good character qualities. The second stage is to show our family or show um, our, our children God's way of doing marriage. And then the third stage is what I'm going to touch on today for a little bit, is providing our teenager into young adult wise counsel. And because they're listening... Whether you think they are or not, they are certainly listening. And so if we do a good job when they're teenagers and develop that rapport, then they'll keep coming to us as young adults. So 
Um, and the first step that I'd like to emphasize in wise counsel is helping our teenager grasp, and this can even start before teen, the teen years, but especially teenagers grasp the magnitude of the decision of choosing a spouse. Okay, in the book, How to Find the Love of Your Life by Dr. Neil Clark Warren, it says, your choice of whom to marry is more crucial than everything else combined you will ever do to make your marriage succeed. Very, very important. So the time, which is why we talk about um, the parents being involved, but that time prior to marriage, um, super important that you're listening to God and listening to the Holy Spirit. Um, If during this time you're not and you choose unwisely, young ladies, young adults, young men, if you choose unwisely for your entire life, the rest of that entire life is going to be long and hard and challenging and painful and devastating and sad and confusing, and it's going to suck the life right out of you. So pay attention when your parents emphasize how important that time is. So um, I just I say that to encourage you to understand the magnitude of that decision. And how do we choose wisely? And how do we help our kids choose wisely? In our various studies, there were four questions that stood out. And so these four questions are questions you can ask yourself as a young adult um, in making that choice. The first question is, do my parents approve? Yes, I'm talking about parents again. That's our stage right now. We have young adult children, and so it, it is just really important, and more important than I even realized before we got into this stage. Um, in Genesis 24, Abraham uh, sends his most trusted friend and servant to his home country to look for a wife for Isaac. And he's very specific that he doesn't want Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman um, where they're at. He wants his, his servant, Eleazar, to go back to the home country and find a wife suitable for him. And Abraham prayed, and his servant prayed, and they took this um, responsibility. He, as the servant, took this responsibility very seriously and really sought God and God guided them, and the Lord established this, this relationship with Isaac and Rebekah through miracles. Um, it's quite fascinating. And actually, we have sort of a, a mini Isaac and Rebekah story from our family. Um, our son-in-law, Jordan, his dad. So what we're talking about is, do my parents approve, right? Um, his dad made a phone call to a friend of his in St. Cloud, a friend they had worked together in the past, and said, do you know of anybody? Do you know of a good, wholesome Christian girl? Have you met anybody in St. Cloud? They hadn't seen each other in a while. And um, the time prior to that, Brickell had been babysitting for their kids, um, working out at their CrossFit gym, and developing a relationship with his family. And so this guy was like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. And the rest is history. And I'm sure I didn't maybe get every single detail right, but um, it's pretty cool how Jordan's dad stepped up and got involved, and they're together today, which is awesome. So let your parents help evaluate young people. Trust their counsel. 
especially if they're believers, um, your parents love you and they want you to marry well, even more than you do, because they know the challenges. Um, and then one thing in the word that I thought was fascinating is um, it says, well, your dad, so young people, your dad um, is a better judge of character than you know. It says in the word that um, in Job 12, 12, wisdom is with the aged men and length of days understanding. And Paul and I had a conversation about this, and um, he really feels like that's a gift from God to, to dads. And so your parents are not the enemy in this process. They are your best advocate. So number one, do my parents approve? And they don't all take this long. Number two, <laughs> are we spiritually compatible? So 2 Corinthians 6.4, do not be equally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And the scripture goes on to make other comparisons. And we're familiar, probably a lot of us are familiar with this scripture, and it all seems normal and really, in some ways, obvious, but until that Christian, that young Christian gal or guy meets somebody and is interested in them and they find out they're not really equal um, as far as their beliefs. And in the words of a Christ-following woman about a, a wife, about her unbelieving husband, I'll just give you her quote and we'll leave it at that. If you, are, if you think you are lonely before you got married, it's nothing compared to how lonely you can be after you're married. So marriage is challenging enough when that spiritual foundation, um, that agreement happens between a husband and a wife about the deepest part of your spiritual being. Um, when that's an agreement, it's still hard, but when that isn't there, it's dangerous. Okay, so do my parents approve? Are we spiritually compatible? <clears throat> Number three, are there any habits, behaviors, attitudes, or viewpoints present now that I'm not willing to live with forever. He will change, you say. It's just a phase. <laughs> Actually, people do not, generally, do not change much. As a, devo as a devoted follower of Jesus, hopefully with time we grow in wisdom. Um, hopefully we grow in humility. We grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Um, you know, we, we improve, but it's not guaranteed. And sometimes... Um, that area that might bother you the most might be the area that takes the longest for, for God to, to work on in them. And so be very careful that uh, you recognize those things and be honest with yourself and choose wisely. Okay, number four. Am I ready to get married? As a believer, the purpose of dating or courting is to find a spouse. Dating is not designed to be a holding pattern that you stay in for years and years. Um, it's a process of evaluation that you journey through, and it either results in marriage or it results in parting ways. Things typically work best if you put off dating or courting until you're in the place in life where in a reasonable amount of time you would be ready to get married. Um, it doesn't always happen that way, and it's not doesn't 100% have to be that way. But generally, um, when you're in that mindset, 
you understand the process and things go well. Okay, I need to back up just a little bit and review what we talked about last week uh, because of the context of what we're going to be talking about today. But before I do, if I could just address the singles, if you are single in here and you want to stay that way, God bless you, more power to you. You can, you can take Paul's advice in 1 Corinthians where he said that sometimes that's better. Sometimes it's better to be single. So we're not trying to talk anyone into marriage if, if you don't feel um, you know, like you're growing that way. Uh, so God bless you if, uh, if you want to stay single. But we're talking about marriage. So last week... Um, Last week we had the volunteers come up here and be Elohim, the, the three people that, uh, that represent God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because God said, it's him that said, let us make man in our own image. So it was, it was all three, and Elohim ends in I am, and any, any Hebrew word that ends in I am is masculine plural. So it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that's who we had up here representing Elohim. And when he says, let us make man in our image, that's the image that he wants replicated on the earth. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. And so he made Adam. We had Adam over here. Adam, uh, wasn't the exact image that God wants replicated. And when he looked at Adam, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. That was the first time in creation that he said it wasn't good. Every, every other time he said it is good. So it's not good for man to be alone. So God uh, put Adam in a deep sleep, took a rib from him, made Eve. And then he presented Eve to Adam. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We'll call her woman. So here's where we did a a real quick study, a word study on uh, uh, Genesis 2.18, where God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. I will make him a help meet. And the two words that make up help meet are azer. And God uses azer 20 more times in the Old Testament to describe himself and konegdo. So azer konegdo is translated help meet. And those 24 or 20 more times that God uses Azer to describe himself, uh, it can be translated as power, strength, and rescue. So this help meet is a representative of the Holy Spirit. So when he made Eve, Eve is a representative of the Holy Spirit to aid, to power, to strengthen, to rescue man in the marriage. Uh, here's, here's one reference that you recognize. It's Psalm 121.1, where he uses Azer to describe himself. He says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my Azer or my help. So Konegdo means facing toe-to-toe, face-to-face, or opposite. It can be translated like this. Genesis 2.18 could say, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a saving power and a strength facing him. I will make him a rescue that looks him in the face. So it's a completing. Um, he's, Adam wasn't complete without Eve. So it's a power facing him or a strength opposite of him. So wives, women, prospective wives, 
uh, we, need, we need you to understand that you have the saving power of help in the relationship. And don't let anyone think that you are inferior in any way. You are in every way equal to the man. Uh, and young ladies, I mentioned this last week too, don't settle for a man who can't see this value in you and the value of what you bring to the relationship. That's so important. So we had Adam and Eve. Uh, God created a Christ-like Adam. And Romans 5 says that he is a, um, I always forget this word. It's so easy. He's a type of Christ. So Adam is a type of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that the first Adam became a living being. The second Adam became a life-giving spirit. Second Adam being Jesus. So we have a Christ-like man, a Holy Spirit-like woman, and God put himself in the middle. So this, if you can picture Adam and Eve and God in the middle, this is the image of Elohim that God wanted replicated on the earth. This is the image. And when, when the enemy looks at your marriage, a Christian marriage, this is what he sees, and that's why he hates it. He didn't attack man when man was uh, on the earth, but as soon as Eve was created and there was marriage, the enemy attacked. So marriage is a threat to Satan. And we as believers and we as a society need to come back to the place of understanding where marriage is not just a relationship, but it's the foundation of society. It's the holy institution that God created and that God loves. Amen? Amen. Mind your way. Okay. We're going to jump back to... Um, we're going to jump back to the, uh, the characteristics and the growing up of children. So there was an interesting parallel in my study on building character in children from last week and then providing counsel to young people and teens um, this week. Um, certain psychologists like Dobson and others say that negative behaviors develop in young people when obedience and submission to authority are not required of them as children. Marriage experts... For example, like Jimmy Evans and others have certain lists of behaviors that are commonly present in cases of divorce. These lists are so very close. I've summarized them here. And nobody's perfect, but if you see these characteristics, take note, because it could be a red flag, could be a warning. Okay, so we're going to go over what's maybe considered a red flag, being that we're talking with um, young people, young adults, and teenagers. So, caution. An unrepentant heart. This person refuses to take responsibility. They blame others. They always have an excuse. Nothing's their fault, and they have somewhat of a victim mentality. In Proverbs 14.9, it says, Fools mock the need for repentance. Number two, pride. <laughs> are prideful. This person is not teachable. They have just an aura or spirit of negativity and criticism of others comes out easily out of their mouth. Proverbs says, the know-it-all never esteems the one who tries to correct him. He refuses to seek good advice from the wise. Proverbs 16, 5. 
Exalting yourself is disgusting to the Lord, for pride attracts his punishment. You can count on that. The third red flag, uh, selfishness or greedy. This person thinks of themselves above God and others. They're consumed with their own happiness, often a poor, poor steward of money and possessions. And a little extra warning if they're controlling, manipulating, or overly jealous in a dating relationship. For example, I'm just going to give an example of this one. Um, if your significant other in a dating relationship calls you, and not to say, I love you, but calls you to say, where are you? Who are you with? What are you doing? When will you be back here? If that type of tone and control comes out, um, or anger comes out, um, that is a, a red flag. And I would highly recommend working through that prior to any big decisions. In Philippians, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And in Proverbs 15, the one who puts earning money above his family will have trouble at home. So thankfully, God's grace can rescue us at whatever stage we're at. And it's not that these things don't come up occasionally, because they do. Um, but if it's a consistent theme, uh, then it becomes a red flag. Um, we all have the power, or we all have the opportunity, to tap into God's power and be redeemed by him. His Holy Spirit and the washing of the word um, can open our eyes, even as mature adults, and correct our ways. In Romans 12, we learn that we can be inwardly transformed by the renewing of our minds. The Holy Spirit will do um, a total reformation of how we think, and this will empower us to discern God's will and overcome any negative habit or behavior or struggle. All right, now we get to talk about God's perfect plan. We talked about his purpose last week. Here's his perfect plan, and guess where it's found? Anybody have a guess? Did I hear Ephesians 5? You're right. And Ephesians 5 is God's perfect plan for marriage. Ephesians 5 is God's perfect plan for marriage. Can you say that with me? Ephesians 5 is God's perfect plan for marriage. All right, we're all in agreement. That's good. It is. It is absolutely 100% perfect. When we do Ephesians 5, we have a 100% chance of success. Uh, there is no plan B because God doesn't need it. So we'll look at the different roles and responsibilities in a Christian marriage uh, from Ephesians 5. Uh, the first one you can see there is submission. Ephesians 5 does not tell women to be in submission to men. It does not say that. Uh, there is a hierarchy in the home, and there, but there's a hierarchy in everything. God is a God of order. There's a hierarchy at work. There's a hierarchy at home. There's a hierarchy in ministry. So submission is not... Uh, it's not exclusive to the home. We are all in submission in one way or another. And that's why Paul tells us to be in submission to one another in the fear of God. Men and women are equal. But the rest of the, the, rest of the chapter tells women how to be in submission to their husbands and husbands how to serve and treat their wives and love them and put them first, right? And... The way I look at it, submission is another way to say serve, right? And didn't Jesus say that uh, the servant of all is the greatest of all? 
So that's the way that we be great, is we, we go, come into submission into another's mission. And service is also humbling. It's an act of humility. And God said that when we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. So I actually like that word, submission. Uh, and what it means, if you just look at the word, it means that in the family context, a man has a mission, he's going somewhere. God has told him, this is your mission, this is your purpose, this is what I want you to do. The wife comes submission under that mission and they go forward together. And what's cool is that they can both go farther together than they ever could alone. So it's very important, men, boys, young men, that before you get real serious about a, a woman, you need to know what your, what your mission is. We need to know what our purpose is. How can we ask someone to come into submission to us if we don't know where we're going? Now, you can find that out together, yes. When you meet uh, uh, the person that's going to become your soulmate, you can find that out together and you can, you can go uh, in that direction together, but at least be moving so this is the most important, I believe, the most important text in the world concerning marriage. And Christians usually don't like to hear this. They don't like to hear this scripture any more than they like to hear uh, Malachi 3 when it talks about tithing. <laughs> and I get to talk about both. So, yahoo. <laughs> uh, actually, some, some Christians do like to read or hear this scripture, but they only like to hear half of it. They like to hear what it says about the spouse. Because men love the idea of having a submissive spouse and women love the idea of having a husband that is going to do everything for her, meet all her needs, um, and put her first. So the only thing is we fear doing it first. Women usually fear submitting first and men don't want to show the wife any weakness because you know, you've, you've maybe heard that if I show her any weakness or vulnerability... I'm going to be doing housework all day and she's going to be in the bathtub sipping herbal tea. But that's, that's not the way that it works. So I'll tell you who is going to do this first. It's going to be the person that's the most spiritually mature. That person is going to do what Ephesians 5 says first. So let's look at Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, the wives only get one slide. The guys get two. Husbands, this is to you, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, he, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love your wives just as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And there's something here that I don't think the church understands yet, and I 
I hope we get a glimpse, a vision of what it is. Uh, And I look at verse 30 and Paul says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. And where did we hear that before? That's very similar to what Adam said when Eve was created. He said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then in verse 32, Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. So there's something in this marriage that represents Christ in the church, which I hope we get revelation on uh, sometime soon. But here's the first reason why God's perfect plan works every time. Reason number one is the roles in Ephesians 5 make us attractive to our spouse and cause them to open their hearts to us. Now, if we read this and we feel, we feel something kind of rise up against that word and we think, well, that's not going to work for me or that's old-fashioned or I don't like the way that makes me feel, that's our sin nature rising up in us. And our sin nature wants us to be separated, wants us to be independent of the word, independent of our spouse, and wants to keep us stuck and so I just wanted to address that. That's, that's our sin nature. We need to identify that so we can take care of it. So verse 33 is the summary there. Men are to love their wives. Women are to respect their husbands. That's the summary. And that's the number one need for a man is respect. It's the most powerful need in our lives. Uh, and when you show men respect wives or when you show your husband respect... If I ever use that interchangeably, you know I mean husbands, okay? Uh, Then you make yourself attractive to them. And Peter says that this is precious in the sight of God, which means it's attractive, but it also means that he doesn't see it very often. It's a very attractive thing when a woman shows respect to her husband because respect is our greatest need. So Peter describes a woman, we won't read all this, but 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4, 1 through 6 even. Uh, Peter describes a woman who has the faith that her God is powerful enough to change her husband. And wives, remember, you are as equal to your husband as you can be. Um, but when, when wives bring an issue to their husbands, it really should be done uh, in the same tone with the same respect that you would bring something up to Jesus. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says that you can challenge your husband or you can change rather your husband without a word as he observes your chaste and respectful behavior. And that's how she did it. And there's probably no mystery that she did it first before I did, but um, she applied Ephesians 5 uh, before I did. So, and that's how she did it. So respect is a powerful thing to a man. And really what you're saying Wives, is you're saying, my God is powerful enough to change you. I don't have to browbeat you. I don't have to nag. Um, God is powerful enough to do it. So the question here is, who is the enforcer? You or the Holy Spirit? Oh, and I'll let you answer that. I'm digging deep enough the way it is. But here's, here's kind of some practical application. So here's the question. How do you bring correction, how do you bring direction or change to your husband? So that's, that's a big question in marriages. And young ladies, Lisa touched on this before. When you're evaluating a relationship that you're in with a young man, please, please don't think like this. Don't think, well, he's, 
He's a pretty good guy. I only have to change three or four things on him because most people don't change very much. Change is hard. Change takes initiative. It takes consistency. It takes effort. So what you look for is uh, a guy with a good relationship with his parents, especially his mom, Uh, a guy who is moving forward, a guy who is interested in spiritual things, has a prayer life, um, gets up, reads the Bible and different things like that. That's who you're looking for. So young men, that's who you uh, need to be and become. And those are the things that you need to do to attract the right girl. So that's important too. So here's the answer. Here's here's how we do it. Here's, Here's how Lisa does it. You can come to your husband. Remember, you're his equal in every way. You come to your husband and you say whatever you want to say. But you might, you might sandwich it. You might give him a compliment. Tell him what you think needs to change or be done. Give him another compliment. And then get in your prayer closet and respectfully sick the Holy Spirit on him. <laughs> because he'll begin, if you're right, he's the... He's the spirit of truth. And he'll begin to change your husband's heart uh, from the inside out. And he'll do it in a way that won't affect your, or won't negatively affect your marriage. And that process also doesn't negatively affect your, your marriage. And if for some reason, maybe you're wrong, then the Holy Spirit will change your heart, which is a win-win too, isn't it? And again, your marriage was not negatively affected because you did it in a, in a respectful way that he can listen to. So honoring and respecting your husband gives you a beauty on the inside that makes you attractive to your husband and it gives tremendous persuasion with him. Tremendous persuasion, ladies, wives. She who has ears to hear, let her hear. So the number one reason or the number one need for a wife is security, love and security. That's what, that's what wives need. And it's, it's up to the husband, the way for him to produce security for his wife is to lay his life down for her, to meet her needs, to put her first in everything. And that makes a husband attractive to a wife. So what is, we'll just ask the the wives here, what is or what makes your husband the most attractive to you, wives? What is it? Most people would say when he's doing housework, right? And there's been actually a study done, uh, a couple studies, the University of California and Pennsylvania, where they actually put men's sweat on the upper lip of women and they wired them to see what it did to them physiologically. And it did three things, guys. It relaxes them, makes them happy, and makes them feel romantic. So if you're taking notes, I can only say it one more time. That's all the time we have. They, it relaxes them makes them happy, and makes them romantic. So really, you put those two things together, and you do some housework, and you come by and let her smell you. You do some more housework, and I think maybe two or three of those repetitions is, is uh, all it would take. I don't, get, I don't think you, you'd make it through the whole house. But isn't it interesting, though, that God's word tells us to do what makes our spouse attracted to us? It opens their heart. It's the, the key to their heart. So marital submission is one of the most resisted concepts. But really, um, 
it is when a wife voluntarily and willingly chooses to put herself under her husband's leadership for the benefit of the whole family. It's not a forced submission of a wife by the husband. She's not a maid or an employee or a child. It's also not a message of inferiority, as he's mentioned. Both are created in God's image. Submission really just involves making space for the husband to lead as he was designed by God to do. This doesn't mean, of course, that you don't have a say. Paul just explained that now. And if your husband was smart, he would already be fully aware of your gifts and talents and have you use them well. I heard it described this way once. The husband is the head and the wife is the neck. She will have a huge influence on the direction of the head. The fact is, when you are with someone that you fully trust, submitting is not difficult. Well, it might be a little at first, but with some practice, it's no problem. And everything turns out better. So in addition to allowing him to lead, and he mentioned these two things. There's two things to remember to bring peace in the home. First is most men's love language is both physical touch and words of affirmation. So give those generously. And then a man's greatest need from you, which will also and especially carry over to your children, is respect. Withholding respect from your husband is like a death sentence on your marriage. It will also cause your children to show disrespect to not only him, but to you as well. So that sets the tone in the marriage. Um, Keep respect as um, a priority, and it'll overflow into the family. Yeah, and so we were talking about doing work, housework to make the make you attractive to your wife. We also need to tell them, don't we, husbands? We need to tell them that uh, whatever you need, I will provide for you. If it's within my power, I will get it for you. I will make sure that your need is met, even to my hurt. Even if I don't get my need met, I will make make sure that you get your need met. So. We're going to do a little exercise, men. Are you ready? Husbands, if your wife is here, I want you to grab her hand, and we're going to practice this. Okay? Grab her hand, scooch into your chair so you can face her. Look her in the eye, and I'll do it too. And we're going to tell her this. So look at her and say, baby. (laughs) What? Everybody. Men, baby. No matter if it hurts me, Whatever it costs, if you ever fall out of an airplane, I'll be sure to tell the pilot. Tell <laughs> Isn't that romantic? So I have two more points and not a lot of time. So uh, the, the, the other, the roles in Ephesians 5, the second point is they release the potential in our spouse. I mentioned earlier that when we're in submission and leading that we get far farther than we can alone so we are to nourish and cherish our wives we are God's partner in finding out why she was created what she is created to do what's her purpose and then be sure that we get her there we will stand before Elohim the creator of marriage and we will answer for what did you do with your most precious gift that I gave you what did you do with your biggest stewardship responsibility. Did you get your wife to where she needed to go? So 
that is very important. In 1 Peter, it says, and this is for the women, that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And we're not saying that you, know, that you have to call your husband Lord. It's you know, old-fashioned. It's the 21st century. I told Lisa she doesn't have to call me Lord. I'm humble. I'm a humble guy. I said, you know, oh, great one. It's fine. <laughs> master. I can, I can deal with master. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but uh, Sarah called Abraham Lord, I think, even when Abraham uh, was dealing with fear. You know, he told, he told uh, in two different instances, he told a king that she was his sister because he was fearful. So he was fearful and he dealt with the same thing that we are. And Sarah called him Lord anyway, and he rose to that level uh, to earn that respect from her. Okay, I'm going to jump to the next one. The next, and this one's super important. The roles in Ephesians 5 disable our sin natures and keep them from destroying our marriage. And I talked about sin nature a little bit, and I, I would argue that selfishness is the biggest thing, the biggest thing that holds us back. It's the biggest barrier uh, that, that keeps us from having a really great marriage. Uh, but there's others. You know, there's selfishness, jealousy, enviousness, divisiveness. Our sin nature is angry, short-tempered, and we all have it to agree, a degree. And we need to crucify it so that our marriage can flourish. So if when you hear about your responsibility in Ephesians 5 and that kind of bristles up, you know what that is. And the good news is that we can take care of it. The bad news is, is that only we can take care of it. But the Holy Spirit will help us. And guess who the Holy Spirit uses to help us crucify our sin nature? It's our spouse, right? So might as well look at her and him again and just say, thank you. Thank you, honey, for helping me to, to, to nobody's doing it. <laughs> to, thank you for crucifying, helping me to crucify my sin nature. Um, so men and women both have different roles because we see in Ephesians 5, they both have different issues. Adam had a different issue than Eve had, and Eve had a different issue than Adam had. So what can we learn from each situation? And we're going to pick on both. So just be patient. His, his turn is coming. And we'll start with the women though, because Paul does. What are the women's issues that we can learn from the fall of, of marriage? And also Paul says twice as much to the men as he does to the women. Did you want to say something? Yeah. Okay. I want to touch on Genesis three sixteen. First, it talks about childbirth, and it says, and you will desire to control over your husband, but he will rule over you. And so, um, now that is part of the curse that came, but Christ redeemed us from the curse, and um, this is great news, because he, he mentions two things there, childbirth and a desire to control, and we need the Holy Spirit to, to overcome both situations, and it can be overcome. That's good. Yeah. So here's what happened to Eve. And I think uh, we can deduct that it's pretty, it, it's true about wives in general. So hopefully I'm not going to dig myself too deep here, but in relationships, women are generally independent. They think they can make good decisions without talking to their husband. And we saw that in what Eve did. 
Eve was standing there with Adam and the snake slithered up and he started talking some crazy stuff. He said, did God say, did God really say? And he said things like, you won't surely die. Just, just maybe, just maybe you'll die. So Eve decides to eat the fruit and Adam was standing right there. And we know that because Eve ate the fruit and handed it to Adam. So in general, that's, that's an issue for women. Um, but so what's, what's the protection is she could have talked to the serpent and get this, the, the serpent always wants to divide and conquer, right? So he didn't want to talk to them both. He only wanted to talk to Eve. God unites and conquers and the enemy divides and conquers. But all Eve had to say was, you know, snake, you're talking some crazy stuff here. I'm going to talk it over with my husband who is right here. And they lived with God in the garden and God is about to walk up. The two of us will talk it over with God and let me get back to you on that. But that's not what happened. That's not what she did. And the rest is history. She made an independent decision and ate the fruit without talking to her husband about it. Now, it's getting a little tense in here. So I'm going to move on to the guys. What was Adam's problem? I don't think it's a secret that it's apathy and neglect was Adam's issue. And that's a husband's sin nature as well. It's apathy and neglect. So, and God even gave him a foreshadowing. God said, you have dominion. You have, um, what's the other word he said? Authority. Close enough. But dominion means, it's a military term. It means to subjugate by force. So God was telling, you have dominion over every creeping thing. He was giving him a foreshadowing, maybe. A, a creeping thing is going to come up. You have dominion over it. And Adam, all he had to do was go, uh, wait a second, honey. I'm going to grab this stick, use it as a club, and go over to the snake and bash its head. Because the snake was attacking his family. But what was Adam doing? He did nothing. He was in his proverbial lazy boy, eating a cheeseburger, watching ESPN, Eden Sports Network, and thinking about, you know, where am I going to go fishing this weekend or got to get my, my golf game has to improve or whatever. Well, that's what we say. But so he did nothing and he should have done something. And men, husbands, when we see an attack on our family, we have to be vigilant. We have to be watching for it. We have to go after it. We have to do something. God has given us the authority to take dominion over that. So we need to do that. So that about does it for me. Do you have anything else? Okay, I do have one other thing. Could we stand, please? And I just, I just hit the guys a little bit hard uh, for, you know, being negligent or having apathy. I've heard Mike talk about it too in the past. You want to come up, Curtis? Uh, and this hunting and fishing thing is big in this area. But I believe that it is actually a gift from God. Don't laugh, because I, I believe that, and here's why. It's because we each need something to recharge our batteries so that we can come back to the relationship full and we can give into the relationship again. We get depleted. We leak. We need to be in the Word every morning. We need to pray. Um, we need to be full spiritually, too, so we can lead our families. But 
when, when we get in trouble is when the golfing, the hunting, fishing, whatever it is that recharges your batteries, because I, I need that because I'm an introvert. I need time alone so I can come back and serve better. But when our passions start to take over and start to take more of our time, that's when we get in trouble. So I recommend having, just like you have a budget or a spending plan, have, have a time plan so that when it's time to go get recharged, both of you are good with it. And you come back and you can, you can serve again. So I hope that helps somebody. Um, we're going to close the service. If, you know, like I said last week, this is, this is hard to do, even with Elohim, even with God in the middle. So if you don't have Jesus in your heart, if you don't have God in your life and you want him to be there, if you want him to be the savior of, of your soul and have eternity spent with God in heaven, there's one way to do it. And that's just accept him. He's offering a free gift. And if you want to do that, if that's the desire of your heart, we'll pray with you. You only need to pray this one time and it happens forever. So we'll pray with you. You're not joining this church, but you would be joining God's family. So let's pray together. Let's pray. Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Please take it and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive your free gift of salvation. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.